0: Hello and welcome to Sports Talk, brought to you by sportstalk.ie. I'm Denise O'Flaherty and over the past few months, I've chatted to a broad range of sports stars and personalities in a nice, relaxed and casual format. Our show is sponsored by the fantastic Medell Healthcare and we would like to thank them for their continued sponsorship this week's guest is a former player and manager who now runs a successful sports management agency. It's one of Cork's favourite sons. It's George O'Callaghan. George O'Callaghan, you had a great career on the field to play. You also are a manager. Different kind of management now. you got a 10 sports management company. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Oh, I think when I retired, I kind of got into the football agency kind of thing over in Asia, you know, and it kind of went really well. I was able to bring like, people like, Joe Gamble and Roy O'Donovan over to Asia and I had a lot of players at about 25 players over there and when I got back after my stint in Asia I kind of left it go, and I was kind of just looking at things there in the last I suppose 80 months last year I just decided that we'd give it a go and it's kind of different to other uh, sports agencies cause we're kind of there to help the players the whole way through so we're kind of just trying to help even with little things like sponsorships and like free boots and that kind of stuff you know because I feel when I look at, especially in the League of Ireland, like we have, like Gerald Morrissey, uh, Gary Buckley, we've got a good few lads at Galway. We've got Saoirse Noonan. Like, they, like we try to put them in a situation that they they get the perks that they need. And uh, you know, it's gone really well. All the lads and people are doing really well, and we're just, we're just we're just trying to put put it in a place where they're sorted. In, the, in their career and after their career you know even with the education side and even building up the, the little things like LinkedIn so they can get seen by people and it, it's been a really good focus for me in lockdown you know we've had plenty of time to work on it and uh, it's gone really successful you know we've got a lot we've got a lot happening here in the UK we're, we're doing a lot of B-Tech courses in the UK with education with kids as well it's exciting and uh, I'm really
0: enjoying it why you picked 10 for the name of it yeah, I know, i have 10 everywhere. Like, my
1: poor son has no other choice but to wear number 10 every match. I'm like, make sure you're wearing number 10. 10. 10's kind of close to my heart. Any, any team I ever went to, I have to demand that I wear number 10, so it's kind of always been...
0: When 10. someone comes to your management company, what would you say to a young star?
1: The first thing I do say, believe it or not, I, the first thing is their education, because hmm. when you look at football, it's I think it's point zero nine percent of footballers make it these days, and it's so difficult. Like we all have a dream, and I'm going to say my own son. They all want to be footballers. But I think the thing is, it's a really tough, hard road to be a footballer, you know, and, and, and there's so many powerful people in it, and people make decisions on your career. And I suppose looking back at my career, when I was 18, I could have went to Arsenal, bids for me, I could have went to Arsenal, but I stayed at Port Fell. When I was 21, I could have went to Tottenham and I stayed at Portfell, and by the time I was 23, I was thrown out of Fell because my head was gone, because I never had that advice and that and that kind of right kind of people around me to kind of show me the way and that's a, a master thing for me in football and when I bring players in I, I just want to guide them and help them you know and I think sometimes you can go overboard and help them too much because players are like myself when I was there can be greedy and they just want 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 but for me it's, it's just giving that guidance for people and not to make the mistakes that I made you know like I played football for 17 years and I made so many mistakes and when I, when I deal with each one of them individually I kind of think to myself well I've been here and I've done that and I've been through the situation and I've been in the highs and the lows and it's just trying to guide them you know and, and just make sure they're protected that's the most important thing you know and, and they don't get too high or too low you know and you're just trying to keep them at a good balance
0: so basically like you're using your own experiences and that's great to have because sometimes you hear stories and people can kind you of give an advice but unless you've lived through it or been there and done that it's very hard to take advice from someone or even give that advice.
1: Yeah, I think so, and, and I think that's that's kind of like one of the main parts that I have with, with the footballers, you know. And I think when they look through my careers, you can see I was in England, i, I had all this going on, and then I had to come back to the League of Ireland and build up my uh, reputation and and get scouted again to get back to the UK, and then I came back again, and then I went again, and I was over in Asia, and then I was a football manager. So like like I've been through it all, you know. And I suppose when I reflect on it, there's so much many things that if you ask me when I was say five or six years ago I said, Oh I regret nothing, just the way it happened mm. but when I sit now and reflect on it, like, you know, there is a lot of regret and how I how I behaved like with managers and and I see that situation when I manage people, the how people turn against you, you know, and, and like in I I really let that guy down and I should have done it this way and like I spend every weekend like a shrink because I deal with all the League of Earth as on the Friday and Saturday morning, I watch all the games, I watch all the all the women's football. Then i got the guys in England that we have that I watch their game. So, you know, the thing about the players, they are alone because they are trying to make it and there's so many obstacles in their way. But, you know, if I can help anyway, and, and I feel that's the way, because normally with sports management or agencies, um, uh, and somebody would ring you up and go, right, I can get you a move next week to this club or that club. But they don't think about the players' life or what's going on. And I suppose a big example would be Saoirse. You know, like Saoirse mm-hmm. could have went to England Recently, she could have went to uh, Iceland. Yeah. But she's a home bird and she wants to be yeah. home. And I was like, actually, you could go, but it's the minute, it, like, you can go now in January. You're going to be there till the summer. You're going to have to settle in with the whole of COVID. Like, then, probably the best thing for you is to get away from home and go to maybe Shell's experience living away from home and yeah. a new environment and learn that before she goes over to the UK. And, you know, she's in the deep end and then she doesn't know what way, she, or what way to do or what way to react to stuff. So just little things like that and advice like that I think it's good for them because you know she gets to go away now and you know live in Dublin for a while live away from the family and she gets to see what it's like even though she can still
0: drive home whenever she wants and you know just give her the confidence of, of being in that situation You mentioned about being in England and you are quite young like a lot of Irish lads going over to Port Vale
1: Yeah like I was very young but you know I basically went when I was 15 you know and I think back then there was no protection for any of the yeah. young players we basically were I often say to Neil Hargan, like, you know, we were glorified cleaners, you know, we went in in the morning, we cleaned boots, we cleaned toilets, we done the kit, then we trained and then we spent spend the rest of the afternoon, like, cleaning the whole ground, dusting the ground and if the ground wasn't up to my uh, old manager's, uh, like, standards, we'd all put our kit back on and he'd rot run us for an hour until everything was up again, you know, so, you know, the, it was really, really tough back then, I know no, the lads these days, you know, it's, it's a lot better for them. You know, they're well looked after on the education side and the FA in England are amazing on it. But um, when we went and I started seeing players that went through all that and a lot of those players, like myself, I think, found it hard to deal with as the years went, to, went, went along, you know, and, like, you know, they come in with personal problems or things happen to them that, you know, that they'll falling in love with football. So, um, you know, it was really tough, tough going back then. I know now they're protected now, but, but back then, you know, it was a completely different different lifestyle altogether.
0: You come back to Ireland and that's where you made a name for yourself. 2005 in particular, I was lucky to be down in Cork then. First league title in 12 years. And then that year you won the FAI award for the League of Ireland Player of the Year.
1: Yeah, do you know what? And I, so I, I often say it, it was amazing times because we fell upon such an amazing team and we had some yeah. fantastic footballers in it. For me, the enjoyment of it, I, I, I never... Took it in and enjoyed it because when I came back from from the UK, I had it in my head that I had to go back and fix what mm. a, what, a, what what I should have had, and so every game for me became like so stressful because I just wanted to win. I wanted to be the best player. I knew the scouts were watching. We had so many good players. The scouts were at every game. Looking back and I reflect on it, no, it was the best time in my footballing career because we had such a great team and, and team spirit. And you know that night, that final night at Turners Cross mm. the last night, of the shed was amazing. We have some fantastic European, night and then uh, we were all together, like we had a, a real brotherhood of of a team and players that we all stuck together and we all like like socialized together. We all came out together. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic, and it's funny because I don't remember the games, but this lockdown, I've actually been scrolling through YouTube, but I oh. wonder what this game was like and that game was like, and you know, when you find some games and you sit and watch them. And, you know, like my son's ten now; he wants to be a footballer. He just only watches the games oh. and the uh, I see all these man titles, but all these Shelburne players you see on me. <laughs> and I'm like that's what it's like. That, that like when I used to play. Like they'd also feel like a proper old man.
0: You mentioned the lads there, and I have to say, you uh, kind of adopted this culture and uh, for so long, unless you were playing long for town, I was a Cork City supporter. I know
1: because you came away to the European games and everything. Yeah. Didn't you? Yeah, I remember that,
0: yeah. Went to Prague, yeah, it was just brilliant. You returned to England a few years after. You were older, so did you notice a difference with you being that bit older?
1: I, I didn't notice a difference and um, the way I was. and like I went into Ipswich and I went, I was always like, spoke my mind and I always like had this kind of edge to me, you know, and I was probably a bit reckless, but I played football that way. And I feel when I went to Ipswich, I tried to do everything too right. I never wanted to speak up. I was like, oh, just keep your mouth shut. You've gotten trouble enough before. And I don't think I brought my personality mm. into it switch town You know, I kind of just wanted to stay quiet out of the way. And I think that kind have of affected me playing for them because I think if I went in as the George that from from Cork City, and I suppose in that meantime, I had to with Lico and I lost about five months because they wouldn't let me sign in September. And then I had, I signed in January. And in the middle of that end, men enjoyed this so I was trying to find my feet and get back fitness. And do you know what? I lost a Dawson my first game, my debut against Walker. So yeah, I know. So everything went, everything went wrong for me. That could have went wrong. And sometimes when I look back, I wish, like, and, and I say that with the sports management company, I just wish I had something to go like, what do I do yeah. next? Or where do I go? And even when I was at Ipswich, I was offered, I went to Brighton, I was offered a four year contract there with a captain's armband. I fell out with that club then because I kind of went back to my old self and I spoke up about younger players that they should get looked after and then there was murder over that and at the end, I was just physically drained from it, you know. My head was, I think I kind of came to a point where I just couldn't cope with the drama of it anymore and then I came back to Clark, like on a big, big contract in Clark, and then all the stress happened again in Cork again. So like it was ups and downs completely, you know, and I think by the time I got to 29... I was ready to finish football, you know. I was really at 20, like twenty-eight, twenty-nine. I was like, "Wait, well, I think I have enough it now." You know, I've had like all these years, but I, I kept going because I had to because it was my job. But. I think mentally, everything the kind of burnout really kind of hit me like, you know, in my late
0: 20s. Do you feel, um, I felt it myself when I, when, when I was down in Cork, because some people had this, to see all the players and perception of certain players, that you did have that reputation of being this inverted commas, this bad boy, but when really you were wearing your heart on your sleeve and you're just being honest.
1: Yeah, and um, it's, it's really, it's, it's crazy, Denise, because, like, it was, what was it, like 15 years ago, like 16 years ago, and everybody still seems the same. Like, when I meet everyone, like, yeah. everyone wants to team seen me, everyone wants to about my stories. Everyone go, oh, George, or this this, you know, that. And I'm like, well, like, like that's in like 41 now. I'm married at two kids. Like, this stuff doesn't happen anymore. But I, I suppose, I don't know how I got away with it at first. Mm-hmm. I suppose I got away with it because I was there because on the pitch. And if you can do it on the pitch, you can get away with it. And I suppose there were days, like, you know, players wouldn't really come out. And I'd go, oh, I hate Shelburne like I hope they're happy going back up the road in an interview and I suppose we have like the People's Republic of Cork that all mm-hmm. loved that then that I would say things like that but I suppose I just meant it to you know I was mm-hmm. like, it wasn't that I like when I look back like you know when we think about there was no social media or anything like that but I was actually really good at marketing myself and I didn't even realise I was doing it you know because every week it would be like the papers would come to me or the radio stations mm-hmm. or the TV interviews would all be me because they probably knew that I would go well actually I don't like this and that happens and I was probably too honest for my own good, which kind of does did a lot of damage I suppose in the long run, but I kind of am but I am and like, even now if I have something like I I, I am learning to like, mm-hmm. you know, sit back something, but like there's sometimes like if I have something to say I have to say, you know, uh, like I had it with Neil Fenn recently with Clark City, like I rang Fennie one of like Fennie what's going on? Like, you know, like you know, then like he was like, What you mean? And I was like, like you have to do this and you have to mm-hmm. do that, like, you know, then Fennie's going like having an argument back at me and then I end up having a fight with funny because I'm trying to help him but I probably didn't say it the right way him I was like, like this is wrong that's wrong you know I mean? yeah but I am learning I am learning the
0: yeah I have to say now you are great if we ever wanted an interview it was like right ring Georgie and he would always give us the interview and you were always as I said honest you had a chance to play in Brunei how did that come out? it's
1: a really funny story um, my and myself and Gregor O'Halloran went to Planning right. kill for we a be
0: be weekend.
1: <laughs> yeah, so myself and Greggy were sitting, and I was like, going, "I'm going to have to get a move somewhere, you know," because we're actually married to two sisters. So we put two euro into the machines, you know, the internet machines they have yeah. in, the, in the lobby in the hotel. And he goes, "Close your eyes, and when we stop at a at a at an agent, we'll ring him." So me and we were after a couple of drinks. So because like, "I don't Stop staff, and we filmed this. fella called Kevin Horton. Mm-hmm. So I rang Kevin Horton, I didn't know who he was, and I said, "Oh, listen." Like, and I explained, he knew who I was, and I said, listen, I want to go abroad. And he goes, well, I actually could get you to, um, for a night. He goes, I've got a contact out there. because He goes, will you go out and trial? So I go, i like, yeah, no problem. I didn't know where Brunei was. Couldn't tell you anything about the country. <laughs> so I got in the flight, landed in this like country for a night, which is a really strange country if you don't understand it. Landed there going, what am I doing here? I played a couple of games against the international and the 21 team, and I scored a hat-trick, and the Crown Prince comes to the game and he sent down the director of football came down to me earlier and he said, oh, listen, we want to sign you, the Crown Prince wants to sign you and I was like, all right, perfect. So they offered me a contract, I flew home and got all the family together and uh, flew back and landed in Burnley and had a big adventure there.
0: What was it like? I'd say something completely different than what you had experienced before.
1: Oh, man, it, it, it's completely different. Like, and you have to realise like, the Crown Prince, like, you know, he's like, one of the wealthiest families in the world you're training every evening at five like, o'clock because it's so hot and all you can hear are the police sirens coming he comes in in his Lamborghini or like whatever and there's about hundred police everyone gets off the road and he comes into training and goes up into this big glass building like that, uh, like with the air condition and he sits and watches watch his training like, like, and I mean standard is not good now like like yeah. rocking would have beaten us but I was like this is off the walls but, like, I, I remember my first day the coach that was there uh, didn't particularly like me because I wasn't his player and all the other players mm. had come from his agency. So they never told me to bow to the Crown Prince. So the first day they come coming up and he stood up and we're like in a circle, like stretching, you know, the way that you stretch
0: your groin. I just stuck my tongue up to him like, oh no, all right, like thanks <laughs> like kids <you> that know." but
1: <laughs> so then like two weeks later my wages were late and I was like, "Anywhere where are my wages? Like, Oh you disrespected the Crown Prince, like oh. you were know, supposed to bow to him and but we have to learn the culture, like you know. Cause, yeah. And when I signed, it was the middle of um, Ramadan, so like, that was all new to me. And in the mornings, we go for breakfast, It's like spicy chicken and rice. And but like, it was really cool to learn it and, and see how you know how other cultures are. And you know, we played the games every day. Like and even at, on a Saturday, he would fly uh, five or six players in from around the world from France, Germany, and we had like four or five foreign players that were signed, and we would play the national team. Every Saturday, so every Saturday to be World War on the pitch, like because we'll all be fighting with it with, with our own teammates that we have to go training on Monday, and like oh, it's crazy. But um, I lo- i really did love it. Like it was such a great experience, and um uh, you know, like it's something that when you tell people they go like, how did that happen? Like, yeah. but um, and then I was lucky enough that I went back. I sent them an email, and uh, after I retired, and I said to them like, listen, I, I feel like you're getting shafted with all players, and they're chopping and changing every few months and he gave me a chance to bring in a team and I brought in all the foreign players from brought Joey in and Roy in the lads I trust and Steve Keane coming manager and they won, the, they won the double they won the league and the cup and then after that then I had three or four more years in Asia working away and living in Singapore and then I became my manager in the Premier League myself in Malaysia so uh, it's a good it will be a good book, Denise, when you read
0: it. I'm just thinking of poor uh, Brian Lennox, you know, when he was at Cork City during your time. Nothing compared to that. Imagine having to bow to Brian. Yeah, yeah. Love oh,
1: Brian. Um, I actually, he's nephew Hoggy, he's yeah. writing my book at the minute. And I don't know if you ever, uh, I don't know if you remember, like it's so embarrassing for me. Pat Dolan dropped me one night because he was trying to like, just like teach me a lesson and we were playing live against uh, balls on TV. And... um I was devastated then because like, I wasn't playing so Pat brought me on after 70 minutes and you know the way Pat was inside. Mm-hmm. and I like come on Georgie in front of the TV cameras and I was like Pat I'm not doing. going to kick one ball in this pitch for you tonight Pat so I was that, like, like there was a few like other like bad words what I said to him and uh, I remember after the game at night like, I slated Pat to all the media like every media in Ireland and I said that Brian was only good he asked me Brian I said he's only good for making fish and chips about my chairman, like 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 that's the most cringiest thing I think I've ever done in football, and uh, so uh, I don't know how Brian put up with me whatsoever he's the same so I see him, I see him, I see him often, like you know, around yeah. and I came at the games and all that. We have, like we have a laugh and a joke about him, but he was like I'm so sorry for breaking your heart, Brian. Right?
0: Oh, he um, I have to say now he was an absolute gentleman, and as I said, yeah. to know, this outsider coming in, but I was never treated like an outsider. You mentioned manager, and you had a chance to manage in Malaysia. You were on the opposite side of the white line, what was it like? Could you then see, you know, how tough it is being a manager? Oh,
1: uh, yeah. Like, I always, I think when you're a player, you always think you can be better than the managers that you see, you know, but, and I always say it, I always say it, when people become managers, they turn into weirdos. And, like, felt when I became a manager, I felt I turned into all my managers that I would. I used. So i become be coming out with a thing, I think you say it. And I'd be look. I'd think to myself, like you know, like Jimmy Jinton, You said this to me, like, and Brian Hart. You said this. I mean, he's come up with all the phrases, and I'm like, what? What is going on? And I'm just sitting at home. When when I went to Saba, there's four million people in the city, and like even our first game, like we had thirty five thousand people, at, uh, like in the stadium. You know, with a local derby, it's completely stressful. And for me, that club we had, I suppose. We had 11 media every day on the pitch. Right. And some days, and I thought Liam Tarney over my assistant manager, the media would walk down onto the pitch and hand me a piece of paper with the team. So then I was dealing with him. And then we had like 13 owners of the clubs that were all serves and goes, And then they would come in and uh, they want this player and that player. And I was only 35, you know, and I was dealing with like basically like managing like a championship club in the UK. It was really, really stressful. Like, you know, and I, I'm kind of very. Kind of relaxed and stuff, and I normally know what I'm doing. But like, there was mornings I used to get up and I'd be getting sick in to the toilet bowl with stress. I'd be like, "Oh my god, I have to face all this again." So, um, you know, I, I just, I just really at the time it was just way too much and it was way too big for me to handle. Just that, like, a, you know, at 35 you know, and on, like, you look at Roy Mason like, taking over Spurs. I know Roy really well because uh, he made his debut when I was at Yeovil. We used to live together, at Yeovil. It is a stressful, stressful world uh, being a manager.
0: One player that has been brought up and um, Liverpool fans and uh, a lot of Celtic fans would know him. A lot of Celtic fans would have no time for him neither. El just Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, my God.
0: You can be honest now.
1: <laughs> he is the most horrible human being that's ever lived. So like, basically
0: what he was like on the field was what he was like off it.
1: He was worse off the pitch. Jeez. Because... I got him really cheap, right? Because I think you know, I think he was after spending all his money on diamonds and cars and bottles of crystal and all that. Because my first encounter with him, I remember the lads in Tranmere went out, and the lads in Tranmere had a like had a little argument with him in the nightclub. And the Monday morning, morning we turned up, there was like four four bottles of crystal, empty bottles of crystal, like to like to the to the lads that were out. And I was like, who's this guy? You know. And then it kind of went along, and you obviously hear, and I'd be mm. just like everyone else, like you hear the stories and all that. But my friend clacked rang up and was like, oh, Juffy song." he'll call me and help you. And we got him really cheap, you know, because I think, like, you know, his money his money was gone. So, like, instead of paying him 30 or 40 thousand a month, I think we got him for 7 thousand a month. You know, US dollars, which is nothing for a player like that over there. You know, like, like I could send the League of Ireland player to Asia to be on more money than that. He just caused havoc, everything, like, just really, really, just not a nice person whatsoever. You know, he's everything you think he is and worse.
0: I'm glad now that you're able to tell me. Your time over there, Malaysia, did it put you off football management or did it kind of harden you that maybe, you know, you might go back into it again? Do
1: you know what I love to go back into it. Like I, all I do is watch football. I think my time with it I think after the after the time with Saba when I got mm. came back and got to reflect on it, I kind of was like, Yeah, I would have done this better and done like like most managers that do you know, like I did leave but ultimately at the end I probably would have got sacked and the game gets sacked when you're footballing manager but I would love the chance to get back in it like I see City now and I look and I watch the games and I go do you know what like, can they not just take the foot off the break and just let the lads go out and enjoy it because it can't get any worse you know like, they're losing most weeks and all that and I would love to get back into it when the time is right and uh, give it one really good goal. you know because um, it, it's my life and it's all I know, you know? And, and it's something that you know that excites me but um, I think I've learned that it has to be the right job and the right time to go, into, to go into a football club you know like I've had chances to go back coaching here and there but i kind of turned it down but when the time's right and I feel right I, I 100% would love one more chance
0: for it See if you're into the media it's great because you're able to give your opinion and it's your job and when I was growing up that's what I wanted to do I wanted to be a football manager and then as it went on kind of you know I enjoyed the writing part of that but being in the media you know you're able to give your Opinion, constructive criticism. So you know that can be something for you as well, or would you be too constructive? Um,
1: no, I no, I do enjoy the media. You know, mm. like you know, a lot of a lot of them do contact me because I suppose they know I go and tell them what I think. <laughs> but like, um, like it's kind of become the thing that with footballers as, as well. It's become like a trendy thing to be in the media, has not it? Mm. Like you know, and like Roy Keane is amazing in the media uh, on Sky, and um, like you see all the, like these players coming through. But I, I find. I find watching it sometimes, I'm like, well, why don't you just tell the truth, like, like and cover this story or that story, and and then I often find players, ex-players, that go into the media. It's all stories about other people, not because Roy from Cork and we have to protect them, but like Roy is thrown under the bus that uh, yeah. everyone that wants to make uh, a name for themselves in the media, it's always a story about Roy King, it's all this and he's that. Like, and I often think, like, why don't you tell your own stories? Because when I speak about stuff, I just speak about my own situations, what happened, you know, and. Like and I and I look at it from the way that I used to look at it, but I just feel like some people in the media know they just want to do it so they can like they look great and perfect and this one is that and this one is this like and I go tell your own story like why are you using other people so if I do do media it will come from my side not not from anyone else's.
0: We mentioned the managers that you played under and obviously Pat Dolan and remember Damien Richardson here in Ireland being two of the ones. You on, some of them are great characters. One manager. That stood out for you?
1: I think, I think Pat Dolan was a complete genius as a manager. Because, funny enough, I was watching a Brian Clough uh, documentary uh, a couple of weeks ago and I texted him and I still text him and I drive him crazy because he's, all the lads still kind of like, we're all like, Pat, you're great and all that. And I'm like, no, you're not, Pat. Like, you did it strong that, I, that he, wrong. You know, and he actually he likes,
0: from, he likes, you know, having a bit of banter with you and you can say things to him. Yeah. And, it,
1: it, like, and, I know when I get him then, like, he kind of gets a bit ratty with me in the text <laughs> messages, and then I'm, I'm screenshotting it, then sending it to Liam Carney, like, oh, I've got Pat again tonight, like, but, yeah. but, like, what, what, what Pat did in, in Cork, uh, and for me personally, like, mm. was amazing, you know. I've had, I've, I've had good coaches, I like, can, funny enough, one of my favourite managers is Jim Jilton, that's just gone into Dundalk, yeah. like, and even though he didn't give me a chance, and he didn't, like, I, I felt didn't give me the chance that I deserved, I still loved going to training. I loved even because he kind of had that personality he was a big personality and that's what I find now um, in the leagues and especially in the League of Ireland we don't have those big characters anymore you know because I think everyone's brainwashed from the FBI and their A licence and a B B licence and they're all trained to be like Barcelona and Pep Guardiola and play this way and that way but it doesn't work that way and and I think when you watch the games like since, start, since the started. Like, how many teams have got caught playing out from the back? They've got to keep from messes up and, because they're not good enough to do it. You know what I'm thinking? Why, why don't you just play to your strengths? We're in the mm-hmm. League of Ireland. Play the way it is. Not not the way, you know, the way we'll watch, like, like, Atletico Madrid or Chelsea play. It, it's not that way here. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of the young coaches are making coming into the League of Ireland. Now it's... it's and I, I, Like, I shake my head when I watch it. I'm like, going, oh, here we go again. Like, the same story. And, and, I, and I think that's what the league... The league needs back is like the Roddy Collins, the Pat Dolan, all these kind of guys that, because people are interested in them, whether it's good or bad, or people, you know, like, just like Marmink, like, whether they like them or they don't, it's still interesting, you know, and I just feel the managers. No, in in the League of Ireland, don't have that whatsoever. You know, there's no kind of personality brought across anymore.
0: It's funny that you should say that because there's one guy that I would pick. I love how passionate he is, and I have a great bit of crack with him. That's Ollie Horgan from Finn Harps. Yeah, he's Ollie is winding up referees and everything. But at the end of the game, no matter what mood he's in, he will always speak to you, and he's always so honest. And as I said, a bit of crack. Yeah,
1: and, and I know because uh, Jonathan Flynn was telling me about him. Like, mm. saying what a great guy he is, and and you, and. and I, I think that comes across yeah. because for the players when the heat is on, on Finn Harps in the last few years with Oli all the players come good for him yeah. because they all want to play for him and they all want to do this and that like you know and like I think when you look at Cork City last year everyone down tools like yeah. other clubs they don't tools but when you have a manager like that that's a personality and you enjoy going in because you don't know what they're going to come out with next and like half it can be funny and you're kind of giggling to yourself or like it can be serious, on the other hand, but you still have the respect for them. And uh, I, think, I, I think 100% like you're dead right there, you know, like, it needs more of those guys yeah. like Ollie, you know, because it, it, it builds the profile of the game and, like, you know, makes people more interested.
0: You mentioned about the league, I and mean, when you think of it, I know it's only, what, 15, 16 years ago when you were playing with Cork City football back then, you know, how good it was, and no disrespect to the players now, but then an awful lot of clubs were living beyond their means.
1: Yeah, and, like, I'm not going to go too hard on shells because I've got Sairchu there. But like when we played shells, our thing was always like to do throwing shells, but we lived in our budget and we, we yeah. played, we got, we signed the players in the budget that we had shells, bowls and all these fellas like we're offering like two or three grand a week and having all the best players you go, and then all the best players go, I won nine league titles because you went from club to club and I don't think they should have been given those titles because they are cheaters. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's like Cock City going out tomorrow and go, right, we're just going to sign this player there for two grand, three grand. And win the league, and then go bust at the end of the season, and, and I, I felt that was totally unfair on clubs like like us and all the other clubs because it put like some it put an enormous kind of like heaviness on mm. on Brian Lennox and these people because then they were trying to keep us and like I know on one stage of Cork City I was after three thousand uh, a week to go to uh, Drogheda. And I turned it down and I stayed in Cork City for 650 or a week because I was thinking, do you know what? I'm going to stay here It's my home, I'm going to win a league and then after that then I'll think about making money. I think they should all be hitting their league titles and, and Cork City should be given an extra few. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It gives you to long time for time. When you, when you do think of it and you look at how clubs... Have suffered down to the years, and Aww. you look at Shells now, and, and even yourselves because Cork would do on things for so long, and then unfortunately, things changed, and if the club fell into the wrong hands.
1: Yeah, like we sure like like Cork like we always beat ourselves alive down here, like again, it's running back to 2008. You know, we had the guys to London the come in and put us all in huge money, and then we're lost. And even, even now, you know, it's, it's happened again, whatever way, you know, I kind of feel it's always kind of covered up, like it never comes out to truth what's happened in the club. And for me, like John Coffee gets blamed for signing yeah. like they say Turkey thirty-one, thirty-two 32 players. But if I was a football manager and I went to the board and I said, well, I want this player and that player and the board aren't strong enough to say, no, you can't because they yeah. can't afford it. It's not the manager's fault, it's the board for accepted it. And like, it's always like things people down not hear like, oh, well, Coffee has had four left-by-backs and this and I was like, well, Sure, surely somebody should have said, "Listen, John, like it's good enough. You have two right back. You don't know, need mm-hmm. four if that's the situation, you know." And, but um, yeah, it amazes me when I see the Cork City stuff because like I can't even make my head around it. Like, and I only live like five minutes from Turner's Cross, so um, yeah, it's crazy.
0: I love the way you love your club, and it's so important to you, and it's so important to the people of Cork and listen you know in the League of Ireland now, when you do look at the stuff across the water it's time now for us to sell our league and say that there is something on, on their doorstep
1: it's been that way for years and it's funny like I remember like an, I don't I want to go back to Pat but when Pat came in in 2003 we used to train in Deer Park and young kids will come into in and watch the training and it will be in their Liverpool jerseys or their or their like Man United jerseys like, like that. And, though I hate mm-hmm. it and he's like, yeah. cause, like oh, you're uh, from Manchester, you know, mm-hmm. this is the kid, like, give it a no, I go, why are you wearing a Manchester shirt, Did you think the kids over in Manchester wearing Cork shirts, you know, that kind of way, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of, got, that got me thinking, you well, know, it's like, kind of true, you know, like, why don't we just support our own, it, it is, it is a downfall, and, and I suppose, like, this, in, you know, when you watch television, everything is like, you know, the English Premier League, or Champions League, but, um, I do, I, and I do feel like the FBI have a lot, it's a lot that goes back on the FBI as well, because I think for years and years, the FBI had no interest in the League of Ireland. I think it was just there for the sake of it, and it was a yeah. token gesture. And I know you see the lads, and I watch like Dan and Crawley and all these guys, and they go on about, um, you know, it needs to be rebuilt and a new brand and all that. And it definitely does, you know, and, and I think the potential is there, because yeah. when you when you look at it now, the kids, if they don't have any kind of a English background, or the parents don't have the... English passport they can't go to the UK for the rating. now. so it's just going to make it stronger because you're going to have the kids 16, 17, 18 they're going to stay in the League of Ireland and want to play for the clubs because it's their only way of being footballers so it's, now is the time I think definitely for change but it's Ireland and it's the League of Ireland and it's always a shambles it always goes back that way like unless somebody read it goes right like, like let's pull our socks up and really sort this out and help the clubs and do it this way but the potential is there but I just don't know if anyone can do it because I just don't think they have the guidance for it.
0: Yeah, because I think in some ways it's kind of a, a tick-off exercise because they need to have a league so they have it and they don't really bother putting it in there and you look at and so many people have come out over Stephen Kenny as he is manager that basically he has had nothing because there's nothing we invested in the grassroots. It was only... Since Stephen took over the under twenty ones, that things started improving and players were coming in. We need to be producing those players and bringing them up to the ranks because you see it in England. I, my cousin played under nineteen for England, brought in their train and you know, the first team squad with there, watched them and everything. We need to start doing that, something like that in Ireland.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think what happened. I think, say for instance, the year I was there, you know, when we had the Robbie Key the Damien dust mm. and Richard Duns and all these guys. Kind of, I suppose, we call it a golden generation of players that came through. Football was different back then because you could probably get away with it later in the football at 12-13 because it was a lot about you know second balls, hard work, and if you had that better skill, you could get out of stuff. But I think now the game has changed so much in the top level, like in international football with big clubs, and we we're on about playing out in the back. and yeah. It's a lot more, it's a lot more tactical and more you know you need you need to be comfortable on the ball. But yeah. sure, if the kids aren't being coached from six and seven the way yeah. they are in the UK and all over the world now we're falling behind and I suppose and it's not disrespected like, you know you get parents that turn up and they want to coach the lad and they try their best but if they don't have that platform of putting the kids through something drills that they're doing in the UK and like my son is, is well, supposed to go to Arsene Village for the last year we just can't get him over because of COVID he's kind of lucky behind I'm there and I can go to the back garden and go this is, this is what you have to do that's what you have to do but some other kids don't have that you know and you know, parents are busy and they can't do it or they don't have that and that coaching system needs to be brought through the whole ranks of the whole of, of Ireland and help these kids if they want to get there and the international team wants to benefit but, like, Denise, is who's going to do it because everyone kind of, like, blames each other, don't they? Yeah. It never happens.
0: Instead of coming uh, together, you mentioned your son and how he's got that great interest for football. Are you one of these parents that encourages him or was, are going to discourage him or are you going to say, listen, we will be with you hundred percent and if, if when he comes to 80, 90, he does nineteen doesn't wanna play the game then fine.
1: Yeah, no, like I'm totally fine with that and, mm. and I think I think when he was about six or seven, he had no interest in it and my wife score, like, George, like, he you never coached him you know, and that man's like, No, like he'll find his own way. If yeah. you he soccer, he'll find his own way. And I kinda of left it and I was like, If you wanna do it, do it And then all of a sudden when he got to the like eight, he just took off and he just loved it and that's all he does, like, like I'm here this morning having breakfast and he's like he's gone on about the super league and He's asking me about Maldini and He who's a better left back or full the back and all this. Like, And he just loves it. He's kind of found his way in it. I do find myself, as a parent, I go to watch the games. I don't coach him on purpose yeah. because like, I'd rather just stand back. But I watch it and then I can feel it. And like I feel it like my dad and my brother used to do to me and I could feel my head going, I'm going to kill him when he gets in the car. Yeah. Like, i <laughs> are not going to uh, work. I didn't like I'm sitting in the car going don't say nothing don't say nothing like and then I'm like why did you pass the ball that way why did you do that like and I'm like on church stop like you know what I mean just let him do his own thing and I'm like biting my tongue like yeah it is difficult being a parent when they are so interested in it and unless and, yeah. and they are like good I'm, I'm like oh Rocky and like some days like I'm like oh, I'm going away there I can't even look at like this anymore <laughs>
0: So, uh, it's mad how they've got that interest in former players. Like, my brother loved Maradona, and I got him a Maradona t shirt, but I got his little one year old um, a t shirt too. And I said to him, oh, Show Liam Maradona when he's a little bit older, because we still kind of go back to that. And one particular player that had a big influence in your life was George Best. Yeah, and
1: it's mad, you know, and that kind came from my dad, you know, and mm. watching the old videos and, and seeing what they're all about. and it's funny, you no, know, like like you say, like my dad was all George Best, and then like say uh, my son now, uh, Rocky, he does the you know, and uh, he's like watching videos of Zidane, he knows everything about the dad, and mm. like and even um, when poor Maradona passed away, like he came down, he sat and sitting and crying, like and I was like, I was like, does he mean that much to you? Like that he's mm. crying, like you know, so like you know, and it's nice that like he understands it and. You know, he'd be asking about like like all those old players that played like that. What was he like? This fella, like you know. And fortunately, like I'm old enough that I played against a few of them. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so get all
0: stories to have. Excuse me, my dad played against blah 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 and blah blah blah.
1: Yeah, I was even saying that last night, and I was trying, we were kind of explaining to him was like like to realise like I can turn around to you and go, listen, I played against Liverpool when I was 19. They had Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler, all these yeah. players. I go, that takes away from all those people that have dreams of playing Mm -hmm. against all these teams like Manchester City and I go, I was lucky to have that. I I've got all those chances, it's like this kind of leads to me when I was there. So I'm delighted that Super League has been cancelled now. I hope
0: the people that did say, I'm not happy with this and I'm going to watch my local team, that do watch the local team. Listen, I go over to Celtic Park when I can. I would go to Anfield or my dad's a Leeds fan. we would go to Ellen Road. But first and foremost, we go to see our local team. I may have the chance of covering them, but I'm also a long-term supporter. Yeah,
1: like, like I love it going on turn cross on a Friday night like go at Rocky but I guess we get like curry and chips to sheds. like he's there banging away singing away all Mm -hmm. the songs and you're watching the matches and you know it's a lovely it's a lovely evening out you know what I mean but I think they do try to match it the best like you know Paul Deasy or Cork City but their hands are tied with it you know like I really feel that Pat Dolan wasn't sacked by Cork City and stayed I think I think Cork City would have have really kicked on and set the standards for everyone. I think it would have really pushed on in Europe. I think we would have kind of got into group stages and I think with the Cork crowd, I think we would have been playing because of like twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 in the end if we kept all the players and I know it was was impossible. But I think with with the standards that we had and the luck that we had, if Pat was there and what Pat had in store, I think it would have changed League of Ireland football completely.
0: You mentioned Turner's Cross and... I think for outsiders to have to go down and experience a packed turner's cross. I was lucky to be there during great days and the Derry City game, final game of the season, 2005, my parents were down at it and they just loved it all. A packed turner's cross with the shed singing the banks, I just think. Yeah. The hair goes
1: up the back of your neck when it happens. Yeah, no, um, the the cross cross is just special, you know, and uh, I I suppose for us living in Cork, when you're a kid, like before, if you got to the cup final, you got to play at Turnus Cross. So that was the whole thing when you're trying to get to the cup final. Going, well, we get to play at Turner's Cross. And, like, and you know, like, I was lucky to have some fantastic nights there, European nights, uh, like, you know, like the night we won the league. Um, it was amazing. But you know the mad thing is that I can't remember anything of the matches. Like, like I think I was so stressed, and mm-hmm. I used to be so stressed about the matches that. I look back and like that I have to watch videos to go, Oh jeez, I actually did that and I scored that goal and like because I think the whole persona of playing in your home town was actually harder because my yes. mum and dad were at the match and my dad used to stand at the corner flag and my brother and every time I went to take the <laughs> corner they used to, they would shake their head and tell me I was useless. And uh I was telling the stories the other day that every time I went my dad would walk around the ground and every time he looked at me he go, oh, useless and shaky, said. And one night we went home and I said, man, like, I go, I can't play. Because dad, every time I goes over, my bro- brother's telling me I'm useless. Jan, uh, my brother John's telling me I'm useless. My dad's telling me I'm useless. So my mother gave out to him. So then the following week, uh, I went over to take a corner and he went to like, tell me that I was useless again. And as they went to say it, they realised that they jumped up and they said, a cat and go, well done, man. <laughs> so, and it kind of made me think, Do you know what, it doesn't matter anymore. And I kind of, I kind of, I cleared my head of going, you know, I want to pretend that I'm useless. I'm useless. Like I know myself, like I'm doing my best. But, uh, I, I, I always, word. I always remember two faces jumping off the seat, like because they knew my mum would kill them when they got
0: home. So yeah, there's nothing yeah. worse than when your mommy, you know, says something, or when even when mommies give out to daddies, it's, you know, say nothing. I'm sorry with your wife. If she says nothing to the children, that's even worse than me giving out. Yeah,
1: because my dad just wear um, my dad is like, a oh, disaster. I used to follow him around the whole match. I'd be playing the match and watching where my dad was because he used to wear right? oh, had a number a hat with number 10. He used to have a number 10 hat and he used to have all the Cork City gear that the players already had so I was giving him my gear. But my dad used to walk around to like the corner boys and go, geez, Callahan's having a good game. But the lads realised after they with my dad and they were like, oh, as soon as my dad came, did all that giving out to me and say me to get up my dad so I could wind my dad up. And then i go home my dad go, Fell over there at the corner and said, You should have done this and you're not that good. And then I met the lads one night and then I don't care, like, George, we
0: have some laugh when we see your dad coming. And so I was like, Dad, please do not go over to the corner boys anymore and stop wearing the hat. I cannot wait yeah. for the book. He said that Neil Horgan or Hoggy as he's known down in Cork is right yeah. he has brought out other books before and listen, if anyone was the chance to read them do because they're very honest. Thank you so much for this
1: and No love lovely, it's lovely to talk
0: to you again. I loved your honesty. You were always honest and you were always very given of your time and uh, you know the great thing about it is you're able to see what, what you've done wrong and you know you're hoping to, to use that experience to help others don't ever change now I don't think you will Georgie yeah listen you take care of yourself no time thanks, I hope to
1: see you soon anyway
0: yeah please God we not to the cross you take care of yourself right